Now I want to uh, talk a little bit about uh, something that the Lord uh, put on my heart for this uh, service uh, tonight. I've, I've never preached anything like this before. I've never heard uh, anything like this preached before in all my uh, days of growing up in uh, apostolic churches. And um, I just believe that maybe the Lord uh, just put this in our heart for maybe someone here tonight in this service. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 1. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, or say anything unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. This is now referring back to Zechariah 9, 9, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon a donkey and a colt, the foil of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their clothes and they set him thereon. So they put all the clothes um, on um, the uh, donkey and Jesus sort of sat up on those clothes as sort of a makeshift saddle. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strong them in the way. And the multitude that went before and that followed cried saying, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. I want to speak tonight for a few moments, and then we're going to have a wonderful time together as we receive communion. But I want to talk on this subject tonight, the revelation of the cult. The revelation of of the cult. Would you bow your heads and would you pray with me? Lord, we're thankful for your word and thankful for your spirit that we feel here in such a powerful way. What a great God you are. Thank you, Lord, that you allow us to sit in heavenly places. And tonight, Lord, as we enter into this sacred time, when we prepare to receive, Lord, of this table, and we remember, Lord, the price that you paid on Calvary, we pray, God, that your Shekinah glory would fill this house, that your spirit, Lord, would just permeate every aspect of this building. Let us enter into the Holy of Holies tonight and let the sweet presence of God, let it infiltrate every aspect of our heart and spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Although all four Gospels mention this story, the story of him sending the disciples ahead to uh, secure a ride, as it were, uh, into Jerusalem, uh, through this donkey. There, it's only Matthew, all four Gospels tell this, but it's only Matthew that is careful to tell the detail of it being a donkey and a colt. Both, uh, Matthew says, was brought to Jesus. Uh, this is because that was the exact fulfillment uh, of the Old Testament uh, prophet Zechariah. Because Zechariah 9 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, the king cometh. Unto thee, he is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon a donkey and upon a colt, the foil of a donkey. So 
the Old Testament prophecy was that it would be both uh, a donkey and a colt. Uh, a colt being uh, the male uh, child or male, how would you describe it, offspring of this donkey, at least four years old or younger. And that was considered a colt. Um, and so because I believe Matthew was very careful in making sure that there would be no discrepancy or no discussion, as it were, as to who Jesus was. He was very specific in mentioning that uh, when these two disciples went, that they went and found where there was both a donkey and a colt. And uh, as Matthew is recording this, it's interesting because in Matthew's uh, recording of this, he doesn't specifically say uh, which one Jesus rode upon. Was it the donkey or was it the colt? Um, it's, uh, it's pretty significant that Matthew records that the colt was with the donkey because that would indicate that the, the colt was not yet weaned from the donkey. It was still with its mother. And uh, But then when you go into the other Gospels, when you read Mark chapter 11, uh, it just says that they found the colt and that he rode upon uh, the colt. doesn't say anything about uh, the donkey, the mother. It just says the colt. And uh, Mark is, is specific in saying uh, something that I think is also notable about this. And it says that wherein never a man sat, loose him and bring him. In other words, uh, the colt was so young it had never been ridden before. Uh, but yet, Mark says that indeed uh, Jesus rode uh, on the colt. It says in verse 7 of Mark 11, they brought the colt to Jesus, cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. Luke uh, says pretty much the same thing in chapter 19. It says, go into the village in the which of the entering you shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man sat, loose him and bring him thither. And then it says that they brought him to Jesus in verse 35. Again, they cast their garments on the colt. And they set Jesus thereon. So we see that Mark and Luke uh, is uh, pretty similar in their recounting of this. They don't talk about the donkey and the colt. They just say the colt. Uh, but they do say that uh, Jesus rides uh, on the colt. And not just any colt, but a colt that had never been ridden. There, there's much discussion about why Jesus would ride a donkey and not a horse. If you look at the commentaries, you look at all the discussion... On this particular passage of scriptures, there's a lot of discussion as to why Jesus would ride on a donkey in this triumphant entry into Jerusalem and uh, not upon a horse. Uh, it's been great in our Easter dramas to have live animals and, and to actually have Brother Kevin, who usually plays Jesus, coming right down this aisle right here on the donkey. And uh, it's, uh, it's something that I miss, and maybe we'll do it again next year. That'll give, Sister, that'll give Sister Lisa and Sister Michelle something to worry about the rest of the service. <laughs> but in the discussion of Jesus riding triumphantly into Jerusalem, they, they usually, uh, the commentaries, they compare the fact that he didn't ride a horse, but he rode a donkey. Kings rode on horses, and they rode on horses when they went to battle. But you rode a donkey when you came in peace. And so this was an act of humility. It was a, a demonstration of peace. Jesus was not coming as the military king that would overthrow the Roman Empire, which is what the Jews wanted. But he was coming as 
the Prince of Peace. In the Old Testament, we find that Jacob sent a donkey that was laden with uh, gifts that uh, he would send to his brother Esau to show that he was coming in peace. Isaac, as a type of Christ, uh, was uh, with his father Abraham, as the Bible talks about them, taking a donkey with them up to the top of Mount Carmel. He was carrying the supplies for the sacrifice and whatnot um, as uh, a representation of them going uh, to a place of humility and sacrifice. Countless scriptures and types from the Old Testament speak to the, the significance of Jesus on a donkey. But the question that, that no commentary that I could find uh, seems to address is why did he ride the colt and not the donkey? Why did he ride the young one that had never been ridden before? And the reason it hadn't been ridden before is because it was young and not maybe uh, strong enough yet uh, to be ridden. Seems like to me that Jesus would ride the donkey. I can understand riding the donkey rather than a horse and the significance of Jesus, his life. He was born in a humble way, in a manger, and, and certainly he was not uh, coming to this earth uh, uh, as, a, as, as the king of kings that he is and was. But he was coming in a humble fashion, born in a manger. It would make sense that he would ride a donkey. But why the colt? The colt of the donkey, less than four years old. Why does Jesus ride the baby? When the stronger, older donkey is available. That seems like animal cruelty. Good thing they didn't have PETA around back then in those days. But it's John that begins to put the pieces of the puzzle together for us, at least for me and I hope for you. The Gospel of John tells the story, but it it tells the story in the context of revealing the significance of the cult. John says, starting out in the 12th chapter, that six days before the Passover, that Jesus comes to Bethany and raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. And what a, a great tragedy that turned into a great testimony. John says that Lazarus was sitting at the table with them as they ate, as they sat down to eat. Martha was still uh, busy working in the kitchen. Uh, but the Bible says, as John records this narrative, that Lazarus was there at the table. And there were so many people that came to see. The word got out that Lazarus had risen from the dead. People couldn't believe that. And they came to the house. They came not to see Jesus. They came to see Lazarus. John is pretty clear about this. They, they knew that he was dead. They had seen the body. They went to his funeral. Maybe some of them helped bury him. They, they were, uh, you know, part of that whole uh, process. But now he's sitting at the table with Jesus and his sisters and Mary and Martha working in the kitchen. And people can't believe it. In fact, it's John that says that there were so many witnesses. People coming out of that house shaking their head. I can't believe it, but Lazarus is alive. I saw him. He's sitting in there. He is eating. He is putting food in his mouth. He looks as healthy as he always was. He doesn't even look sick. Doesn't even look like he's tired. I guess not. He's been sleeping for three days. In fact, it was such a, a, a noise abroad that the chief priest had a meeting. And considered putting Lazarus to death. He's only been alive a few hours. 
Read it. It's in the Gospel of John. You know, we really uh, probably ought to put him to death. Um, because it's, him being alive is really messing up things around here. Isn't it amazing that people are not so much worried about, you know, whether or not the sick are healed and the dead are raised as much as they're concerned with making sure we keep Christianity in a corner. We don't want it to spread. We just want to keep it over here. Even if it is the answer to the ills of society, even as it's what delivers people from alcohol and cigarettes and drugs and puts marriages back together again. We don't want to put in our pornography business uh, uh, s- system out of business. You know, it's like the Gadarean demoniac that was being delivered and set free. You would think they would all rejoice. But instead they came and asked Jesus to leave their coast because the devils went to pigs. They weren't supposed to have pigs anyhow. They were Jews. The devils went to pigs and all the pigs went, Wah! Even they're smart enough to know you can't live with the devil. And they all jumped off the cliff and went down into the ocean. If pigs won't live with devils, why do we live with devils? I mean, you'd think they'd all say, thank you. This man was crazy. He was out howling all night, running up and down through the graveyards and, and all the craziness. And he was, we, we brought barbers out there to try to give him a haircut. We couldn't do it. We put chains on. He broke the chains. You'd think they'd be happy that the man, hallelujah, is in the middle of community now and he's contributing to society. He's in his right mind. You'd think everybody would rejoice. You'd think people go up and shake Jesus' hand and say, thank you very much, Jesus. Thank you for coming and bringing peace. Thank you for coming and restoring this poor man's mind. But no, instead we'd rather get rid of him. You're living in a world that rather you keep your mouth shut than to lift up the name of Jesus. I say proclaim his name anyhow. Lazarus is alive. Woo! I say today revival is alive. The church is alive. Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Miracle had been noised abroad. It upset him. Many people Believed on Jesus because of it. In fact, John reveals that it's this group. The group that had gone to Bethany to confirm this miracle they heard about. It was this group the next day that was out on the streets in Jerusalem. And that answered a question for me because I knew Jesus had not been able to do miracles in Jerusalem. Because of the chief priest and the religious hierarchy and all that, he couldn't do it. He had to mainly do his works and teaching and all that up in the northern Galilee region. But in Jerusalem, there were these people that got out in the streets. And in fact, you, you saw in the text that we read tonight, there was people that were like, who is this? But there was this crowd that knew who he was. Well, John says it's the crowd that had come over from Bethany that had seen the resurrection of Lazarus. And if there was any doubters in that group, that doubt had vanished. It had vanished. And now this group is in the middle, hallelujah, of the street. And they're putting palm branches out. They know for sure now that this is the Messiah. Hosanna in the highest. Uh, He may not have had many followers in Jerusalem, uh, but he had followers uh, from Bethany that came over to Jerusalem. They said, where's Jesus going next? Uh, Where's he going next? This is the king. He's got to be the king. Uh, We've never. This man was dead. This is not something where he just felt bad. He had a headache, wasn't looking good, kind of pale. He was in a tomb for three days. 
This was undisputable evidence of who Jesus was. Oh, I'm so thankful we serve a God, hallelujah, that will give you an undeniable experience. You don't have to just take my word for it. You don't have to just take the word of your grandmother that prayed for you when you was a little nappy-headed boy. You can know God for yourself. Oh, when I think of the goodness of Jesus. Lazarus is alive and breathing. He's going to Jerusalem. Well, let's go to Jerusalem. They get out on the streets. Well, they get palm branches. They're pulling limbs down trees. They're putting their clothes down the street. They want to celebrate. Boy, it's messing up the religious hierarchy. The high priest, what are we going to do? This was the celebration of Jesus It was the outcropping of his healing, saving power that the priests knew they had to try and eliminate. If they couldn't take out Lazarus, then they had to take out Jesus. Somebody's got to die. He'd raised the dead and now the people were raising their voices in exaltation. He had turned a desperate situation into a miraculous one. He had taken the weakness of death and turned it into the strength of a resurrection. A tragedy becomes a testimony. It is in this context that John just simply says, when he found the colt, he rode on it. He didn't go into a lot of details. He starts out the chapter talking about Lazarus. Then he just inserts that little indication. He quickly adds, the disciples understood not these things at first. And then he goes back to the narrative, which would indicate to me that he's examining what Jesus did in riding on this colt in the context of of the greater revelation of of what happened in Bethany with Lazarus. And then he quickly adds this. The disciples understood not these things at first, not until he was glorified. Then remembered they the things that were done. What things is he talking about? They got the revelation after the fact. They understood after Jesus was ascended. And John says they understood his words. Verse 23, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, here he goes now, John's beginning to reveal what this was all about, what the revelation of him riding on a colt was all about. He says, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. John begins to reveal what this is all about. From death comes life. From the strength of weakness comes the revelation that God, only God, can bring victory out of the clinches of death. It is God that can change the nature of an animal, the nature of life and death, the nature of humanity. You serve a God that can deliver you from anything. He rode a colt because everything that was weak became strong when Jesus was in it. I'm preaching to somebody today. The world may say this is your epitaph. You'll never be anything but a drunk. You'll never be anything but an alcoholic. But you let Jesus touch you. You let Jesus get in your heart.
You are serving a God who can take a man or woman who has had thoughts and maybe even contemplated suicide and make them a preacher of life eternal, life everlasting. He can change the heart of a man or woman who used to run around from bar to bar, club to club, dancing in the world, but now you're dancing in the Holy Ghost. New creature in Christ Jesus. It used to be you couldn't complete a full sentence without damning the name of Jesus. But now you can't complete a full sentence without exalting the name of Jesus. Oh, you said, I didn't think God would ever love me. I look back at my life. Somebody may say, oh, pastor, you don't know my background. You don't know my parents, my grandparents. You don't know all that I have been through. I understand. I understand that in our flesh we are weak. We're nothing more than a colt. But oh, if you'll let Jesus come into your life. Come on, I said, if you'll let Jesus come into your life. There's a triumphant entry that's in your future. Oh, yes. You're not going to go from sorrow to sorrow. You're not going to go from pain to pain. You're not going to go from heartache to heartache. Jesus is in town. Jesus has got a mission. And he wants to use you. I say to this great church tonight that God's got a mission. He wants to pour out the gospel in these last days. And he needs everybody. He needs every cult. He needs every broken human spirit. Let God be a part of it. He rode a cult because out of the weakness of flesh, the spirit is made strong. He could have ridden the donkey, but he chose to use a cult. He could have converted rabbis, but he chose to use fishermen. He could have used the educated, but he chose men with no formal training. Little is much when God is in it. And John is the only one that puts the context to this. Because he can relate to this cult. John was the one that was a little bit different from the rest. John was the one who laid his head on the breast of Jesus. I can just see the other disciples rolling their eyes. Rugged, calloused hand, fisherman. Won't you sit up straight, John, like everybody else? You can't be a mama's boy your whole life. Let the man eat for crying out loud. Oh, Jesus, who do you love? Come on, John, be a man. John was the one that his mother chose to advocate for. She's the one that said, Jesus, when you're coming to your glory, my sons, James and John, be granted the privilege. One to sit on your right hand and the other on your left. Oh, the disciples couldn't believe this. The Bible even talks about how the disciples got mad about this one. They said, oh, come on. What are you talking about? Maybe in private. They said, John, what do you got to have your mama advocate for you? Your place in the kingdom? Come on, John. John's the one that keeps referring to himself. As the one that Jesus loves. Hey John, isn't that a little insecure? That you keep saying you're the one that Jesus loves? You know he loves all of us. He's writing it so he can create the narrative. I mean, even at the crucifixion, the rest of the disciples have fled. Peter has a group all down there at the lake fishing. Fishing all night. 
basically saying, forget this, we're going back to our old hobbies, we're going back to our old lifestyle, this didn't work out like we thought. John doesn't even get invited. He doesn't even get invited to be with the boys down at the lake. John is a colt. But it's John that's there at the feet of Jesus. With the women. With the women. It did good for Peter and all his gang to be with the women. At the feet of Jesus. I thank God for Mary's hallelujah that'll gather around a place of intercessory prayer and call out to God. I'm so thankful for a thousand men that we had gathered at the campground this past weekend. I'm thankful for men that will raise up their hands and stand for biblical truth and principle in society. And I'm thankful for women that aren't afraid of what anybody thinks. And I'm thankful John was a part of that group. He's there watching his Savior suffer. Jesus turns and says, Mary, behold your son. And to John, she says, behold your mother. In other words, need to take care of my mother, John. And John, again, writing the text, he says, I did. And I took her into my own house. And history records that he took care of her until the day that she died. I can use you, John. John can relate to that cult. John's the only one that gets the revelation of the cult. All of you are thoroughbreds. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Sometimes you come into a Pentecostal church and everybody looks good and they're all dressed up. Looks like they were speaking in tongues from the day they were born. And you come in with all your tattoos and all your scars and all your piercings and your broken hearts and your mistakes. And you think, I don't belong here. I've come to tell somebody tonight, God rode the cult. God is looking for the weakness of humanity. He's not looking for somebody that's got it all figured out. He's not looking for the thoroughbred that can run with the best of us. He wants to know, is there somebody that's broken? Is there somebody that's hurting? Oh, if you're thankful God found you in your mess, you ought to give Him some praise right now. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. I'm not perfect, but Jesus loves me. You may be seen. You don't have to be like everybody else for God to use you. You don't have to be full of talent for God to use you. He'll use a colt. You don't have to be 30 years old for God to use you. I believe God's going to use some young people to reach Palm Bay and Melbourne. I believe God's going to use a child. He even talked about faith that's effective as being childlike faith. Oh, I believe God will use any man, woman, boy, and girl. It doesn't matter if you're five years old or 95 years old. If you desire to be used by God, you're not broken down. You're not too young. You're not ineffective. You're a no, no, my friend. You got to stand up and say, God, here I am. 
If you can use me, I want you to use me for your purposes. Just a moment when we receive this communion on this Palm Sunday. We're requesting that God choose to use suffering to bring joy. To use death to bring life. To use pain to bring peace. To use loss to bring gain. He chose disappointment to bring deliverance. Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. I'd never had seen it before, but we went to a sheep farm and we watched them shear a sheep and they brought that sheep in. They may even have a picture for you. They brought that sheep in and that guy put them between his legs and that lamb didn't move. He just sat there with its head looking up. And he took that razor and I mean in two and a half minutes that thing had totally lost its coat. And I couldn't help as I watched that thinking about how that the Lord is described by the prophet Isaiah as being a sheep, not even opening his mouth. But oh, why did he do that? Because it was in the weakness of our humanity that he received the greatest victory that humanity would ever know. Just last week we were in Ethiopia. At one time in Ethiopia, the largest work the United Pentecostal Church had overseas. At one time, hundreds of thousands of people receiving the Holy Ghost in a single meeting, in a single setting. Now, after the scourge of false doctrine, only a handful of churches are left. Last year, of these few churches that remain, only seven people in the entire country of Ethiopia received the Holy Ghost in United Pentecostal churches. Only seven in the whole country for the whole year. They used to have crusades with Brother Robinette and Brother Steve Willoughby and Brother Billy Cole and Brother Doug Kleindenst and many others that went on those crusades and hundreds of thousands of people would gather. It would be an ocean of humanity. Hundreds of thousands of people receiving the Holy Ghost, the dead being raised, miracles being, all being manifest in a mighty way. And yet last week we gathered with just a remnant of people, pastors, just a few churches, having to live now with what used to be in the shadow of what was one of the greatest revivals in all the world. And so Brother Robinette and I went to Ethiopia to meet with them last week. And we began to train and teach and pour our heart into them as we do these Global Harvest in Motion training seminars. And as we were beginning to wrap up late one Saturday afternoon, the Holy Ghost moved into that place. And I felt the Lord gave me a word to say to those ministers and those pastors of Ethiopia, And I begin to just prophesy as the Lord had put in my spirit that the latter will be greater than the former. I said the latter will be greater than the former. And then the verse came to my mind, despise not the day of small things. God will use a colt. I said God will use a colt. Oh, my friend, if you're not not aware of this, you'll... 
fall victim to what the enemy does to a lot of people. Convince them what you could have been before you fell into sin, what you could have been before you made a mistake, what you could have been, and to get you looking in your past. But I've come to tell you that God is going to use your weakness. God's going to use your mistake. He's going to use it to make you a man and a woman of God, and you're going to go forward. And the latter rain will be greater than the former rain. I said the latter will be greater than the former. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. I believe with all of my heart that the Lord is setting the stage for an end-time revival that's going to sweep the world. I became convinced when I was in Ethiopia, I don't know where or why, but I always had heard and preached and taught that the first Gentile that was ever saved was an Italian. I'm half Italian. Maybe I was biased because of that. Maybe it's because the Romans were in control back there and they controlled the narrative. But as I got to reading the Word of God and I got to studying about the man from Ethiopia in Acts chapter 8, 2 chapters before Cornelius. He come up out of that water. He was baptized in the name of Jesus. He repented of his sins and he went on his way rejoicing and joy comes in the Holy Ghost. It's very possible and I believe now if I'm right and if God's put this in my spirit that the first Gentile that was ever saved was a man from Ethiopia. I believe it was a fulfillment to what Peter preached. That this promise is unto you and to your children and to them that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I'm preaching to somebody tonight. You think your son will never be saved? That he's too far off? I've come to tell you, there's a revival that's going to take place among our own children. There's a revival that's coming among our own families. It is the will of God for everybody to be saved. Oh, you ought to lift up your voice if you believe it. You ought to shout, shout, shout with the voice of triumph. God's going to have the final say. God's going to do the miraculous. Jesus! Jesus! Jesus!
There's a cult called the apostolic movement that the Holy Ghost is riding upon. That everybody else is looking because they want the anointing. I say to you today, great members of East Wind Pentecostal Church, this is not the time to have an inferiority complex. This is not the time to think we're somebody on the other side of the tracks. God's presence is in this place. God is used in this church, this body of believers. I wish I could tell you everything that's happening in the world, but just something that's happening in my own little realm of friendships is something that's so powerful that I, I want to share with you, but I think it's just a microcosm of what God is doing all over this world. Oh, I want to tell you, don't be afraid, hallelujah, that you're a tongue-talking, holy roller, born-again believer in the wonderful, liberating power of the name of Jesus. Oh, yeah. They may have labeled us holy rollers, but you know what? Uh, we've got the Holy Ghost inside of us. Uh, and if we roll, if we leap, if we jump, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. A number of years ago, I, I had my, my good friend uh, David Elms' two children, Ethan and, and Winter Elms, come and sing here on Sunday night one time. And, said, I believe the hand of God is upon their life, and God has used them in a great way in uh, the last few years. And they're very talented, but I've watched them grow up as kids. They're humble, and uh, they want the move of God upon their life. And Winter Elms has always been a person of such humility, but also such great anointing, and started singing here. You know, you, you became familiar with her, the Winds Conference and our outpouring crusades and all that. Well, they got a clip of her singing at the uh, Heart of Worship Conference here, and it went viral, a million and a half views, and... They called up and wanted her to come and sing at a large church, I believe, in the Dallas area. And uh, she went and sang there with her mom, Sister Melanie Elms, and the Holy Ghost moved. I, I got some clips of it. It was amazing, just the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And here she is, just a young girl, just a cult. And in this massive audience of several thousand people singing under the anointing of the Holy Ghost and lifting up the name of Jesus. Oh, I begin to cry just watching the clips of it. They were so moved by it all. They said, this is what we've been looking for. This is what we've been hungry for. They tried to hire her to be their music director right there on the spot. This, this afternoon, I just got a text on the way here from my buddy, Pastor Elms. It said, we just spent three hours with Pastor Ed Young and his wife. They're the pastors of this church in Dallas. Uh, they got a home down here in the Keys. He said, they just spent three hours with us. And he said, they are so hungry. He goes, I don't know how this is all going to work out. All I know is that God's opening a door. I've come to tell you, the world is looking for what you and I have. I'm going to tell you what I believe in the Holy Ghost. This is what I feel in the Holy Ghost. I believe that in the Holy Ghost, there's coming a revival. Brother Stan Gleason talked about it this morning. There's a revival that's coming in the churches of America. People are tired of just going through the motions. They just don't want a light show and big video screens and black ceilings and smoke. They're not looking for a theatrical presentation. If you want Disney World, all you got to do is go down 192. But if you want to move with the Holy Ghost, you better find where there's anointing. You better, because it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. We're not just going through the motions. And formal religion has failed humanity. It's failed them in Europe. It's failed them in America. But there are people all over this great nation that are desirous of an authentic move of the Spirit of God. Come on, church. We're the church. Take it to the streets. Take it to the highways.
You can stand together with me. This is my body that is broken. This is my body that is broken. Take and eat. Why? Because it's this broken body that's going to bring the blessing. This cup is my blood. There's healing in the blood. There's salvation in the broken body and the blood. Don't ever think because Jesus' body was broken and the blood was shed that somehow he was in a weakened state. There's never been a greater victory in all the history of humanity as when this body was broken and this blood was shed. The colt led to the communion of the Last Supper. Thank you, Brother Matt. And the communion led to Calvary. And Calvary led to the crucifixion. But the cross, the pain, the agony, the suffering of the cross brought an empty tomb. You don't get the empty tomb without the bloody, gory crucifixion on Calvary. But it brought an empty tomb. And the empty tomb brought a resurrection. And the resurrection of an empty tomb brought us to the day of Pentecost. And Pentecost brought us to where we are today. Oh, my friend, always remember that God is a God who will use your weaknesses to bring about strength, power, dominion. You say, oh, pastor, if you know what I've been through, how could God ever use me? He's a God that uses broken vessels. He's a God that uses colts. No man had ever ridden, but he was unlike any man that had ever lived. People are coming from all over the auditorium. If you want to receive this communion with us tonight, we invite you to step out from where you're standing. If you don't want to receive it, just stay where you are. There's no obligation. There's no requirement. But we do this tonight because he instructed us to. Do this in remembrance. What are we going to remember tonight? We're going to remember that God has all power and all authority. We're going to remember that Jesus Christ gave us the greatest victory through the pain and suffering of Calvary. He brought us victory. He brought hope, joy, healing. I feel like tonight there's going to be a mass healing. I was so touched in my spirit Saturday afternoon when Brother Stan Gleason was speaking at that men's conference and he was talking about how that most men have never heard their father say, I love you. Most men have never heard their father express any gratitude. He told him, he said, I'm going to tell you about your heavenly father. He loves you. And he said, I'm going to ask you if you've never had a father tell you that he loves you. I want to ask you to step out of where you're standing. I watched hundreds of men go to that altar and lift up their hands unto the Lord and felt the presence of God sweep into that place. Oh, my friend, I've come to tell you that Jesus Christ, He is the one that can right every wrong. He can make sense of every confusing thought that you've ever had in your brain. It's the brokenness of His body 
that brings the strength of deliverance. And it may be an emotional healing that you need. It may be a spiritual healing. And it may be a physical healing. But I believe tonight when we receive this communion, and then we lift up our hands and we begin to worship the Lord, I believe that God's going to heal many people right now in the name of Jesus Christ. All over this building. God's going to heal us right now in the name of Jesus. If you want to receive communion, just raise your hand. and They'll give you one of these little cups. If you don't have one, raise your hand and the ushers will get one to you. Don't receive it yet. We're all going to receive it together. The way this works is that there's a little little, uh, clear covering on the top that when that's pulled back, it reveals the wafer. And then when you pull back the little foil, it reveals the uh, drink that is inside. And in just a moment, we're going to receive this communion. And we're going to do it in reverence and in humility. And we're going to do it in obedience to the Word of God. And then when we've received it, I'm going to ask all of this church to begin to lift your voice and begin to lift your hands unto the Lord. And I believe that God, once again, is going to fulfill the promises of His Word that by His stripes we are healed. And we're going to receive it one more time into our spirit. Would you pray with me right now? Our Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your presence. We feel the love of Your Spirit. We feel Your arms wrapped around us right now. I thank You, Lord, that through Your weakness we are made strong. I thank You, Lord, that through the pain of Calvary You brought deliverance from sin. I thank You, Lord, that through the suffering of the stripes that were applied to Your back, uh, You can deliver us from cancer. You can deliver us from sickness. Uh, You can heal these bodies. You can rearrange molecules. You can rearrange, Lord. You're the one that created us. You put the road map of DNA in our bodies, in our minds, and in our spirits. You can make us a new creature in Christ Jesus. But, oh God, tonight as we receive this in the Holy Ghost, we remember, God, that you're still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That you are a mighty God. And you have dominion over every other spirit. You have dominion over every aspect of this natural world. You are a great and a mighty God. And we acknowledge it tonight in the name of Jesus. Would you receive communion together with us right now? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I speak healing over this congregation. I speak deliverance. Oh, I prophesy strength in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Be made whole right now by the power of the Word of God. 
by the anointing of the Holy Ghost and the authority of the name of Jesus. That's it, I received my healing right now. In the name of Jesus. That's it, you ought to lift your voices right now. There ought to be a shout. Victory in Jesus! Victory in Jesus! In the name of Jesus! I speak healing over Frank Pasek in the name of Jesus! I rebuke this cancer in the name of Jesus. Release your healing virtue, oh God. Come on, why don't you lay hands on somebody you're standing next to right now. Come on, pray under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. God's going to heal you. God's going to use you. I speak healing over Sister Johnson in the name of Jesus. Touch her right now, Lord. Heal her in the name of Jesus. That's it. There's a mass healing all over this building. In the name of Jesus. Come on, God's got his hand upon you. You're not washed up. It's not all over. God's going to use you. Jesus. Jesus. The latter shall be greater than the former.
In the name of Jesus. I speak blessing on these Murillo children in the name of Jesus. By the power and the authority of the Holy Ghost. I give my heart to you, Lord. That's it, guys. I feel in the Holy Ghost tonight, you need to speak out whatever you want God to do. If you believe that God has touched you tonight, I want you to begin to speak. Use your mouth and begin to speak out and say, Lord, I thank you for my healing. I thank you. Be specific. I thank you, God. You're going to take care of that situation. I thank you, God, that you're going to bring my family back into the truth. I thank you, God, that the latter rain is going to be greater than the former rain. I thank you that revival is coming to my house. Revival is coming to my house. Speak it in the name of Jesus. Akonda Robo Satan. 